The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. It's Sunday, November the 12th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics Podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. We have a special podcast on this Sunday afternoon because Pat Leahy, you're hot-footed it back from the uh, Sinn Féin Ardeshanath loan this weekend. Fraternal greetings, Hugh. Uh, how was it? Yeah, it was very upbeat. It was not quite as big as some of the Sinn Féin Ardeshanath that I've seen before. About 1,500 delegates, according to the party, but very upbeat very enthusiastic, strong focus on international issues. I guess we'll go on to talk a little bit about that. A lot of focus on uh, on Gaza. Obviously, Palestinian ambassador was there um, and addressed the gathering uh, just before lunchtime. Delegates pretty much lifted the roof uh, off the uh, off the convention centre for her. Um, yeah, and you know it used to be. Sinn Féin and Ordeshas were always uh, held in, in in the RDS and you'd know it was Sinn Féin Ordesh Day when you see all the Celtic jerseys knocking around Ball's Bridge. Uh, but the garment of choice uh, yesterday was the Palestinian scarf and there was lots of them around, including one sported by Jerry Adams, who was there doing a book. Is there a green, white and orange version? I have seen a green, white and orange version. In fact, you may have been able to buy one in the Sinn Féin shop there instead of uh, you used to be able to buy the sniper at work t-shirts didn't see any of those but uh, was Palestinian scarves we we might come back to Gaza in a moment but first of all there's always a thing for political parties when they feel they may finally be on the verge of of power isn't it which is a a kind of an accompanying nervousness uh, justified Uh, one always thinks of the the phrase you know from from UK politics go back to your constituencies and prepare for government you know yes Uh, (laughs) giving a hostage to fortune so was there a certain caution about you know being seen to be too presumptuous I think there was I'd written a little bit about this during the week as well as one of the objectives of the Ordesh to tell the you know for the leadership to tell the delegates you know not to take anything for granted and in the way that Sinn Féin with this extraordinary message discipline that it has everybody was suddenly saying you know we can't take anything for granted and you know even in Mary Lou's speech you know she was humbly asking the uh, the Irish people for their support at the next election certainly not presuming uh, upon it and uh, so that was definitely one of the, the key messages but there was a real sense around the place I thought that uh, and there is an excitement uh, in the party that was palpable uh, in Athlone that they really are closer than they have ever been before to power, not just in, uh, in, in, in the north, but simultaneously uh, in, uh, in the south. And there is a real sense of that about it. And also, I think, a kind of a concomitant effort on the part of the, uh, of the, the party leadership not to give too many hostages to fortune. You know, I mean they are actually going back to their constituencies and preparing for government. Whether that transpires or not is, you know, something we can we can talk about and I'm sure we'll talk about a lot over the next year or so. But uh, but there's no doubt that that is, what the, that is what the party are doing. And so the message discipline, I'd love to talk at some point about how that works. Have they got some very effective WhatsApp groups or something like that or is it more in the room where people are told what the message is going to be? I think it's... Um, 
I mean, I'm sure they have their own WhatsApp groups. I'm sure that is the case. But it's actually, it's the difference isn't that they have WhatsApp groups. The difference is there is a culture of discipline within the party. And that unnerves some people. The example that we always give, and we've talked about it here before, is that, you know, political staff can more or less give you a blow-by-blow account of the parliamentary party meetings of the other parties as they happen, should you be so interested. Nothing comes out of the Sinn Féin parliamentary party. And there is, that is, you know, obviously there is a, 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 a I was going to say a military, but I, I suppose a paramilitary past and, and, and the culture of discipline that that imbues in the organisation. Does that also mean a culture of secrecy? Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, it is. Secrecy, um, uh, obedience to the leadership. Now, what the party would say is that they have a collective leadership. Everybody agree, you know, when people agree with a decision taken by their collective leadership, then everybody rose in behind that. But it is still one of the things that really marks Sinn Féin out. It unnerves some of their opponents and... Uh, they say is a sign of, you know, something, I think its opponents would say something almost sinister about uh, about the party in that dissent is so ruthlessly suppressed as uh, as its opponents would say. And certainly within the culture of the party, dissent is not really tolerated. It is very effective though, isn't it? So, you know, everybody's on message. So at the Ardash this weekend... Housing, 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 housing. Yeah, so, uh, you know, they talked about housing, principally, uh, healthcare, cost of living. They were the three big Not policy, science, though, policy areas. To, no, to no, no, I mean, I mean we've been writing for a long time, you know, informed by polls that these are the, uh, these are the issues. But not that, distracted by United Ireland too much, for example. No, it's interesting. I thought in Mary, Lou's, uh, Mary Lou's speech, she said, you know, quite flatly, housing is the number one priority for Sinn Féin. You know, not national unification or anything else it's uh it's housing is the uh, is the priority one of their great assets i suppose is the housing spokesman own uh, own o'brien he was very prominent there uh housing section took up the middle of the afternoon he was received by delegates with some enthusiasm as you would uh expect and you know it's an issue that the party uh, really sees uh, itself making political hay on because it is the concern of that demographic of younger voters that uh, that they see as key to returning them And, and to also power. it's the only party which is saying with any credibility, of course we'll see what happens if and when they get into power because it's a very complex, difficult question, but uh, it, it has a credible argument that it would do things differently. Well, it says it would build more public housing. That's it in a uh, in 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 a nutshell. Interesting, I thought in today's papers in the Sunday Independent, uh, I think uh, Johnny Ronan, the property developer, is there's an interview with him, and he's saying, "Oh, the Sinn Féin will be grand on housing. Nothing to worry about for us develop- developers." And uh, so, I don't think the party would be too displeased um, uh, with uh, with that. Even you know, if you know Johnny Ronan and property developers were. Uh, you know, at, at at one point, I suppose they were, you know, the great national scapegoats for the, uh, along with the banks, for the crashing of the economy uh, in 2008, 2009. But, you know, I guess you can't build houses without property developers. And also so. this is part of the 
process which you've written about a lot over the last year or more, isn't it, of Sinn Féin, you know, moving to political positions that won't frighten the horses that much. It's not that they're expecting that, you know, property developers are necessarily going to be voting for the party or anything like that, but it it provides a defence against the attack which is sure to come in the run-up to the election, which will be, um, there are storm clouds on the horizon, the international economic outlook is uncertain, stick with what you know rather than these people who are going to turn everything upside down. Yeah, within Sinn Féin, they would anticipate that. They call it Project Fear after the effort by the David Cameron government in the UK to scare Scottish voters away from voting for independence in in 2014. And uh, so that is anticipated within Sinn Féin that uh, that Fine Gael in particular will spend much of the next election campaign in the period before before it warning people of the dire consequences, dire economic consequences of uh, of a Sinn Féin uh, of a Sinn Féin government. So they want to neutralise that as much as possible. But this is a difficult, now it's a certainly a delicate sort of tightrope for Sinn Féin to walk, which is on the one hand trying to convince people that they are, you know, the change that people want to see. And, and change... have Johnny Rowland saying, oh, sure, no problem at all. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, they, so, you know, we've talked about it here before about how they want to essentially convince people that the things that they don't like will change, but the things that they do like won't change. So That's politics, uh, isn't it? That's politics, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, moving on then to the, the very high prominence of the Palestinian um, issue, just to get a sense of the enthusiasm at the, at the event here, here's, uh, here's the Palestinian ambassador being welcomed. Please, Akarja, give a special Cade Mila to the official representative of the people and the state of Palestine in our country, to Dr. Jalan Wabba Abdelwood, the Palestinian ambassador to Ireland. So she was the star of the show there, Pat. Yeah, uh, as I said earlier, they, they fairly lifted the roof off um, uh, for her. Also, Mary, those parts of Mary Lou's televised address last night were cheered, uh, were cheered to the rafters. She uh, she said in her speech that she would uh, that, you know, the, the Israeli ambassador should should be expelled, which was something that wasn't in the script supplied to journalists uh, earlier. Although it had I mean, been said last week. It, it? That's right. It wasn't mm. a new position mm. for uh, for the party to take. But um, and it'll, I guess, come up in the doll this week, along with um, along some other motions. But the Palestinian issue has always been something that has got big airplay at Sinn Fein or uh, or Desh's. Um, also, the the. Catalans were uh, were there. The, the Catalan representative uh, addressed the Ordesh, as did the Basque representative. Again, they're people that we've seen at Sinn Féin Ordeshes in, in the past. And, and, they're, in the the news, and they're in the news as well at the moment because because of the formation of the new Spanish government, which yeah. is underway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, so yeah. I mean, I suppose the party has always had these links to, I suppose, what it would describe as you know, movements of national liberation. Also, the ANC uh, was always, uh, in South Africa, was always an ally of, uh, of, of, of Sinn Féin's right back to the days of, uh, of Nelson Mandela. And, and that has been a kind of a two-way relationship between Sinn Féin and the ANC for a long time. But, can I, can um, I just ask you in relation to that, because the ambassador obviously is, is, is the ambassador from the Palestinian Authority. There are, there are two sovereign powers in the two separate Palestinian territories. And as we know, Hamas is the, uh, remains the sovereign power in Gaza. Um, does Sinn Féin have relationships with Hamas? Um, there, was, uh, there was some contact with Hamas. There was a 
there was a meeting or a seminar a couple of years ago at which uh, which was introduced by Mary Lou and where Hamas representative spoke. But I'm not aware of current formal links um, with Hamas. And they are certainly something, I suppose, that the party in the current circumstances is not uh, is not necessarily playing up. It wants to emphasise its solidarity with the Palestinian people rather than with Hamas. And unlike some of the other uh, critics of Israel on the left, uh, Sinn Féin has condemned the uh, attacks by Hamas and has said that hostages uh, should be released. But um, as to current formal links between the two entities, I'm not aware of them anyway. And I guess the party certainly isn't playing them up at the moment. So the issue is going to remain very prominent in Irish politics over the next week and there are going to be uh, votes before the doll. Yeah, there are. There's a number of motions uh, before the doll. There's one by Social Democrats calling for the... calling for... uh, the government to make complaints to the International Criminal Court uh, about Israel's behaviour, Israel's attacks in uh, in in Gaza, and there is a Sinn Fein uh, motion uh, as well, calling for the same thing. Um, the there was a People Before Profit motion circulating late last week, which. Uh, uh, which called for the, say again, same thing, expulsion of the ambassador, reference to the ICC, but had no reference to uh, Hamas in it or no call for the hostages to be released. My understanding is that that is unlikely to be agreed by all the other parties who are uh, who are pushing their well, own Well, certainly motions. at the Ardesh, the, the, the speech I heard from Matt Carthy, for example, he did also call for the for the hostages to be released he alongside did. other calls for a ceasefire, yeah, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I mean are those those going to be in any way tricky in the in the dull? Would the government parties just stand firm against them or might there be a compromise of some sort? There certainly government isn't cert, certainly isn't going to budge on the, uh, the expo- on, on the expulsion of sure. the ambassador arguing consistently and, and pretty forcefully to my ears that actually you, you have to maintain diplomatic links with uh, with people and of course pointing out that were Ireland to expel the Israeli ambassador which is an action that only a handful of, uh, of countries and certainly no EU country uh, has taken then the Irish ambassador in uh, in Israel would likely be expelled uh, as well. And there are, of course, Irish citizens, not just in lots of Irish citizens in Israel, but there's Irish citizens in Gaza that the government is trying to uh, assist. But this so, argument has gone on around the Russian ambassador for the last year and a half, and the Russian ambassador is still with us, although some people would rather that he were not. The argument is exactly as you've put it there, mm-hmm. that it's better to keep yeah. these challenges. So there's no, there's no question of that. As to, you know, a complaint... To the International Criminal Court, I get absolutely no sense that uh, within government that that is likely. But I, I, I think that the government will be, you know, were there to be, you know, international moves or a whole bunch of countries to get together, to get together and uh, and and decide on something like that, then maybe that's something the government could consider in in those circumstances. But there's no sign of that uh, happening. So I think the government will. I think it is regards uh, the, the the line that it has taken has toughened. Uh, since the as uh, the longer the conflict has gone on, it is now much more willing than it was to be openly critical of Israel and of specific uh, Israeli actions. 
in uh, in Gaza and would be seen it would be seen the Irish government would be seen within the EU to be pretty much at the edge of I suppose uh, of where I suppose it, the the case is isn't it that that Ireland is is always on on the edge as you put it it's 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 more pro palestinian than most other EU countries for example but that as the conflict goes on we see more and more horror and death international opinion is also shifting, even in the United States, which is staunchest Israeli ally, that the calls for some kind of cessation, some kind of humanitarian pause are becoming louder within within the establishment there too. And this is generally reckoned to be the, you know, the sort of how these conflicts tend to progress, that Israel, un, until Israel is told by the uh, the United States that it really has to stop. Presumably, these conversations going on in private all the time. And until, you know, international patience breaks with Israel, that they will continue. And there's also various kinds of things that we really have no idea what's really going on in terms of negotiations over hostages, for example. And yeah, yeah, there seems to be that. fairly intensive diplomacy going on uh, in the background. But in the meantime, while and diplomacy is often slow and painstaking process, uh, and no doubt that's what's happening at the moment, but in the meantime, bombs are continuing to rain down on, on Gaza. So, you know, you know, how long is it be strange? How, at what point do we reach a tipping point on it that international... Uh, in, you know that international pressure on Israel become uh, becomes sufficiently intense that Israel is forced to take notice of it. Is Just, that this week? I don't know. Well, I mean, one of the things which seemed apparent to me, looking from from afar or from hundred kilometers away or whatever it is, um, Mary Lou Macdonald was was asked um, by a number of media organisations about this business of the way in which members of the party seem very keen for their day in court against different media organisations. Yeah. So Mary Lou Macdonald did uh, a doorstep. Uh, yesterday morning with journalists, quite a bit of it was taken up by questions from other media outlets about the case that uh, Dublin Bay South TD Chris Andrews has instituted against the Irish Times and uh, and Harry McGee, our our, uh, our colleague. And um, so there's quite tough questioning on that by journalists from other uh, from other media outlets, and not just that particular case, but also the tendency of Sinn Féin's representatives to take legal action against other media well, outlets. An and she has done case. that herself. Uh, she has done it herself. There was an interesting case um, which concluded last week, which uh, Michelle O'Neill, uh, putative First Minister in Northern Ireland, lost against a rather obscure DUP councillor who basically engaged in vulgar abuse against her. Yeah. It, I think, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but it didn't look like defamation. It looked like vulgar abuse to me. And it was kind of, she was ticked off by the judge for taking was, the case yeah, in the first place. Yeah, in, in, in kind of fairly forthright judgment. I mean, the judge said this is this is mere, mere vulgar abuse. You know, it's not defamation of your character. And there's no evidence that you've been in any way damaged uh, by this. And um, I think there is a growing sense amongst the media generally that Sinn Féin's use of, uh, the, of the use by Sinn Féin representatives, uh, right up to Mary Lou, who's taken an action against RTE. Her husband has also taken uh, an action against Shane Ross, who wrote a biography of uh, of Mary Lou. And uh, that there's a growing sense that this the use is a political strategy to, I suppose, give media pause when they are 
writing about uh, Sinn Féin. And I presume Mary Lou Macdonald denied that. She she essentially says, and she's she's right in the abstract to say this, every individual has the right to their good name and to pursue that through the appropriate legal Yeah, and she was asked, well, but why don't Sinn Féin representatives typically then take, why do they go to the courts where they can be awarded damages uh, rather than taking a complaint to the press ombudsman or the uh, or the press council, and um, she said some of them have done that, but it was a matter for uh, each individual to uh, to decide for themselves how they wished to go about what they would see as the vindication of their uh, of their good name. But um, and look, people will have their uh, people will have their own views on it. There's a sense, I think, in Sinn Fein that this is a legitimate. Uh, weapon against a media that an ex- what it would that term as an establishment them. media yeah. that is historically that has historically been um, uh, been very critical uh, of, uh, of of Sinn Fein. But you know, whatever your view on it, it is certainly the case that Sinn Fein representatives take a lot of legal actions against a lot of media outlets, and that has an effect of making those media outlets very careful and perhaps. Um, uh, you know, giving them pause for thought. And we should mention covering... that, that is in that is against the backdrop of uh, defamation legislation in Ireland, current defamation legislation, which is remarkably draconian and punitive by international standards, and which a lot of people, myself included, would feel has been a constraint on the ability of the media to do its necessary job properly over decades now. I think a lot of us in the media would feel that, but of course we have uh, a dog in this fight. But what you are what we can say without contradiction or without fear of contradiction is that internationally the Irish media landscape is regarded as being comparatively dangerous for media organisations. And has been criticised as such by independent observers. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, we'll leave it there for the moment. It didn't sound like it was the most exciting Ardesh ever, but again, I, I suppose it's that's what happens when you're preparing for, for success, isn't it? No fights. Because it's, no internal fights anyway. Uh, no, because that's there the was way no internal fights. There was no... Um, I mean, sometimes at these Ardeshes, a major policy change will be signalled. Mm, that, nothing like uh, that. that. That didn't happen. You know, I mean, this is the third party conference on the trot now in the last three or four weeks. We've another one with Fine Gael next week. <laughs> I hear, you can the, sense I hear the, the weirdness in, your voice. in my voice. Yeah. There's another one with Fine yeah. Gael next week in Maynooth. And there's very much a sense, you know, that actually the parties are only doing these to use up the television slots. So they have an agreement with RTE that RTE will, you know, cover their one leader speech a year in their party conference and that they all might have been as happy if none of them had to do a party conference. But when one of them said we're going to do a party conference and the others all had to do I must it. check the ratings and see what kind of ratings these, these Actually, party speeches... Actually, for a piece I was doing about party conferences a couple of weeks ago, I sought them but didn't get them, but I was told by somebody who knows that it is. They're they're not enormous. The nation's kettles go on, do they, simultaneously all over the country? When and it used to be, yeah, uh, it used to be 8.30, you know, really bang in the middle of Saturday night, 8.30, bang in the middle of prime time, but um, it's now at 6.30, slightly earlier, maybe people are having their tea, as we say. Uh, as, as you people from down time. the country as, say. As, us, as we people from down the country term it. Well, we'll leave it there and we look forward to Bated breast to the, to the Fine Gael, uh, conference then. I can, I can hardly wait. <laughs> Thanks very much, Pat. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon, and our engineer, JJ Vernon. We're going to be back very soon. Until then, thank you for listening.